Good morning, everybody. Uh, again, we are so excited that you're here this morning. Um, we are finishing up a series in Second Thessalonians. It'll actually be this weekend, next week, uh, and then the week following that, of course, is the barbecue. Uh, and so we're excited about that also. We find ourselves in Second Thessalonians. If you have your Bible with you, I would love to invite you to turn to Second. Thessalonians. Uh, We will have the words up here on the screen, though, too, for you to follow along in. And then back at the Grab a Bible table, we have some extra Bibles. If you don't own one, we would love to give you one. Let that be a gift from us to you. Uh, We think it's really important to have God's Word in your hands uh, so that you can be reading it throughout the week, etc., etc. I remember growing, as I was growing up, at the end of Topaz Drive, there was a a chunk of woods over up here in Oak Brook uh, where we used to go up and ride our bikes. Uh, I had a little uh, 10-speed bike. It was blue and yellow. It had yellow spokes. The plastic, I should say, the mag wheels. I was really cool. Um, and back then, uh, foolishly, I will say, we didn't wear helmets. Uh, and so there was a lot of crashing on that bike, but it was a lot of fun. I, I think I rode around on a broken mag for, for quite a few years because I didn't know that you could actually go and buy just the mag again. So it was cracked and I kept driving on it or riding on it. Uh, but I used to love going in the, in the woods there at the end of the field with my buddies, Mark and Tabor. Uh, the three of us would take off up the kind of long hill to get there. Uh, and then we would shoot into the woods and start riding these trails. And there was one in particular that I really loved that you would go over the jump. And as you came down, there was a tree right in front of you and, and the, the path went uh, pretty hard right. Okay, and so you'd get up speed, and then right before it, especially when I was younger, right before it, you would kind of slow down because you were afraid, right? Once you go over the jump, how was I going to miss this tree? And, and there were a few times as I started to build my confidence that I actually hit the tree because I was going a little bit faster or whatever. But finally, I learned through process of uh, trial and error, mostly error, uh, that if you look to the right of the tree, as you're landing and you look at the path, you're more like, less likely to hit the tree. You're more likely to miss the tree, right? Focus on where you should be going, not necessarily what you shouldn't be running into. Does that make sense? Any of you guys ride bikes or do maybe another sport that is kind of that same idea? Um, as I was thinking about that this week, I also uh, am in the process of teaching my 15 and a half year old son to drive his car. Uh, now, Gwen and I are both in the front seat uh, at different times, so we share that responsibility. But as we're cruising between uh, DuPont and Stillicum, I usually get to ride with him when we're going to weight training at the high school uh, in the evenings. I'll talk to him about like, okay, here's a truck that's coming. You know, it's a little two-lane road out there. A truck's that coming. Make sure you're focusing to stay in your lane. You know where the side of the road is. You've looked down. There's no bikers. There's no walkers. But be prepared in case he drifts a little bit. But you don't stare at the truck. Know where your car is going and have confidence in that, right? You don't look at the truck. You don't look at the ditch on the side of the road. You look to where you're wanting to go. So again, it's kind of like with the bike. You don't focus on the tree. You don't focus on uh, the bushes. You focus on the path and where you want to go. And so I think today we're going to see, we're going to see Paul say a couple of things. And when Drew and I were talking about it this week, we kind of landed on the big idea of do so you don't, okay? Do so you don't. In other words, Cole, as you're driving your car, focus in on your lane, know what's around you, but you focus where you want to go. Do 
In other words, go, do, focus in on that. Mark, when you're taking that jump at 10, 11, 12, 13 years old, and you're coming in hard, focus on going to the right of the tree on the path, not on the tree itself, and you're less likely to hit that tree. So you can actually do uh, by not doing certain things. And Paul today is going to say, do so you don't. Uh, The first thing we're going to see, we're going to be picking up in chapter 3, verse 6. We're first going to see that Paul is going to encourage us not to be lazy. Don't be lazy. Then in verses 11 and 12, we're going to see an encouragement to not be a burden. Don't be a burden. And finally, in verse 13, uh, the third thing we're going to see today is don't be weary. So if you're taking notes today, we're going we're to see Paul saying, don't be lazy, don't be a burden, and don't be a worry. The first thing we're going to focus in, in, uh, in on is laziness, okay? Yesterday I did nothing, and today I'm finishing what I did yesterday. That could be the story of my life some days. I mean, that's the way I feel. I did nothing yesterday, and today I'm going to finish exactly what I started yesterday, Comedian Phyllis Diller says, uh, I, I should have suspected my husband was lazy when on our wedding day his mother told me I'm not losing my son, but I'm gaining back my couch. You know, I thought that was kind of a funny one um, that, we, that we saw this morning. Drew threw up a few, uh, a few, a few memes here, and, and I thought, you know what, I'll go ahead and stay, uh, steal these. So if I won the award for laziness... I would send someone to pick it up for me. I don't know how many of you guys can uh, associate with that. Lazy rule. Can't reach it. Don't need it. Uh, My goal this weekend is to move just enough so people don't think that I'm dead. I don't know why these are all cats. I'm not a cat person. I'm not a cat lover. Uh, I have allergies to them, so I actually try to avoid them. No offense if you love cats. But they're all cats, so I'm assuming cats are a lazy animal. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I already want to take a nap tomorrow. That's the only planning ahead. Some people do. I wonder why we lazy people go to heaven uh, or do we go to heaven or do they send someone to pick us up? Because it sounds like a long ways away from here. But anyways, okay, the first thing we're going to look at, we're going to see the importance of actions. Uh, Paul's going to say it's important to be active, to do things. He's going to tell us that, um, do so that you don't, right? And we're going to see that in our text today. So let's jump in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, starting in verse 6. And I'm going to read actually through the whole thing, and then we'll kind of break it down. Starting in verse 6, all the way through 13. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you will keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we did not have the right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would not give or we would give you this command if anyone is not willing to work let him not eat for we hear that some among you walk in idleness not busy at work 
but busy bodies. Now, such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. Father God, we do ask today as we look at a, uh, a passage that has to do with work that, that no one will hear incorrectly that we are saying you gain any sort of favor in God's eyes by doing work, but that we are saved by grace, uh, by the, the blood of Jesus, cross, uh, uh, Jesus Christ on the cross, and that the works that we should be motivated to, go, to do are because of that. Uh, because of the free gift of salvation that you've given us. Help us, Lord, as we see this uh, and look at this today, that we'll be encouraged uh, to work harder for you because of our love for you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Paul starts off this section uh, recalling what he's been teaching the church throughout 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, right? Uh, Before we get too far into our text, let's go back to what Paul was referencing when he said that he had commanded them, you see that in verse six there, I commanded you. What, he, what he's going back to is this, this portion in 1 Thessalonians, the, the first letter that he had written to this church. Uh, and, and verses 10 through 12 of chapter four, it says, but we urge you brothers to do this more and more and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we have instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. So in the, in the midst of these two letters that are, are packed full of theological instructions, and we've been talking about those, why does Paul go back to the teaching or the instruction on work? We're almost to the end uh, of Second Thessalonians. Why is he going back to this idea of work. Well, I think Paul understood that that the gospel, until the gospel fully intertwines with every part of our lives, it really is, it it can come across as meaningless. If you're going to tell people one thing, but your life looks different, what are people going to believe? Right? I mean, I'm sure we've all had coworkers or bosses that say one thing and do another, and you're like, ah, that's really hard for me to get behind you. And I think that's the same thing in our Christian lives. And just like we talked about last week, the gospel, uh, it really should saturate us. If you claim Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you're a Christian, the gospel message, the good news of Jesus, needs to be a part of every area of our lives. Everything we do and everything we say should drip with the gospel message. People should hear our words and then they should see that that matches up with our actions. I think that's really important for us today, church, that what we are saying is what we are doing. When people see that, it's not they're hearing one thing and seeing something else. Let's let's make this just, you know, as personal uh, as we can for us right here, right now. How, How you act and what you do is a true indicator to what you really believe about the gospel. As I thought about that this week, it was convicting. And so I pray that it is convicting for you today also. Enough so that I'm going to read it to, uh, again. How you act and what you do is the true indicator to what you really believe about the gospel. 
When we get together on Sunday mornings, I know we can spout off some things about the gospel or the good news of Jesus Christ and how it's changed our lives, but is that real in our lives? What we believe about the gospel will take, uh, to, will we take that to work with us? Do we engage with our families in a way that reflects the gospel? Do we uh, do that with our friends in our neighborhood and so on? Paul has taught on this concept throughout the letters that he has written. Now we're focusing in on this, these two letters that are written to a church uh, in Thessalonica. But in Colossians 3, Paul says, whatever you do, work heartily or enthusiastically as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. So if you're taking notes, that's Colossians 3, starting in verse 23. Whatever you do, work heartily as unto the Lord and not for men. So here again, we have a pattern for how a Christian should be living. Whatever we do in life, we should do it fully, enthusiastically, with excellence as unto the Lord. We as Christians are guided by a different set of convictions or standards as to why we work and how we should do our work. So what we can deduct from Paul's instruction, uh, there is that, that even though he had previously instructed and, and taught the Thessalonians, remember in, in, in the first letter, there was a gap in time, and now here we are in the second letter, that, that this is how they were conduct, to conduct themselves. It's the same thing. He didn't change anything on that. But there were some in the church that weren't following this example or this instruction. So he had heard about the church and he wrote 1 Thessalonians. And then because they're in order and it just made sense, we decided to keep preaching on 2 Thessalonians. But there was a time in between where there was still some continued uh, problems or some issues. And so Paul's writing to them on that. And, And here we are, this church that Paul loves to praise. You're doing so many things well. But there are a few things that you could do a little bit better. And one of them is the way that you work. One of them is the way that you interact with those in your lives. We've given you an example. We've given you instructions, right? And and yet you still are living with this poor work ethic. So this poor work ethic was then giving them a poor reputation in the community. And it was damaging the name of God. Their lack of order, their lack of work ethic, uh, it was hindering the furthering of the gospel message through this church because, again, they were associated with their actions and not just their words. So Paul points out that they're not following the traditions, is what he says. They're not following what he had taught them. And they're not following his personal example. Again, Paul's not just saying things. He's not just saying words. But he's going to go on to talk about while he was there, this is the way I conducted myself. They're not listening to the teaching. And they weren't looking at the personal example. He says to them, know how you ought to 
imitate us. Paul, Savanius, and Timothy were all up there, remember? And they were planting this church. We don't know if they were there for a few weeks or a few months, but it wasn't very long. And they planted this church, and then they were run out of town. And Paul and Silvanius and Timothy all heard good things about this church. And yet there were a few things that were off. That's what inspired 1 Thessalonians. The, 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 the growth, the impact on the community continued. And yet there were a few things that needed to be written on. And so here we are now in 2 Thessalonians. And Paul says, know how you ought to imitate us. Paul is bold. Two times in our text today, here in verse 7, and again we'll see it in verse 9, he challenges the Thessalonian church to imitate his example. Now he does this elsewhere in the New Testament as well. So let's pause here for a second. Paul, the author, the apostle, writing God's word, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is in living his life in such a way that he can say, I am an example of what I am commanding you to do. What I am encouraging you in Jesus Christ, he says, to do. Uh, I am the example. Look to me. This week, as I was looking at this passage, as I was praying over this passage, I I had to ask myself, can I say this about my life to other Christians? Can I sit up here and say, hey, as I'm teaching you now, and as I have done, look to me, imitate me. And all of a sudden, that was a little convicting, right? Could Could you tell your friend at work that's a brand new Christian to follow your lead? Could you tell your friend maybe that's exploring Christianity and what that really is all about to to follow the way that you live your life for God? These are tough questions, but really they're ones that we should struggle through, you and I, and, and strive to be able to answer them positively. Check out this quote from Leon Morris. He says, no preaching of the gospel can ever be really effective unless the life of the preacher is such as to commend the message. When I read that that this week, I'm like, man alive, that is is something I need to strive for. I never want to sit up here and and have the privilege of bringing God's word to you and then have any one of you be able to say, man, alive, that just doesn't match up with his life. Now, in no way am I saying I'm perfect. We can get Gwen up here. Luckily, she's not in the room. And she can tell you all the ways that I fail, that I trip and fall, that I sin throughout the week, that I'm just not always the greatest husband. And, and, and maybe my, my fuse is a little short with my kids and, and all the other things that I could do a little bit better to be a little bit more like Jesus Christ. So by no means does this mean that I have to be perfect. But I want to have a life that, that, that I'm living that when you hear something from me, you can say, yeah. That, that's not contrary to the way that Mark lives. You know, that's something that I can believe because I see Mark living that out. And again, it's by the grace of God and that each one of you can be that exact same thing. You can be that encouragement to me in my life. I was thinking this week of the, the preachers with great integrity 
right? And some of you might have experienced that in, in past churches uh, or, or um, historical figures. And the one that immediately popped into my mind was Billy Graham. And I say that name, most of you know him, and, and probably most of you know about him. But their preaching resonates because their life mirrored the message. When you hear Billy Graham preach and, 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 and he's, he's bringing a word, you can say, man, I believe that. I have full confidence in that because Billy Graham is striving to live what he is preaching. Our, our words are useless if our actions don't back them up. We have all heard the, the phrase, actions speak louder than words, but it is so true. Our, our lives need to be a picture of striving to live with excellence in life that's acceptable to God. Paul encourages his readers often to live a life worthy of the calling. You and I, we have been called to so much more than to just place our faith in Jesus Christ and then coast until we take our final last breath. God wants great things from you. And it looks different for each one of us, but the message is the same, the goal is the same, and that's the gospel message to go forward. The gospel message to go forward. And it might be that, that little one sitting right next to you right now or maybe in, in kids' ministry, kids' church right now. That may be the most important person in your life right now that you are supposed to be moving that gospel message forward with. It may be a family member, a mom, a dad, a, a brother, a sister. It may be your coworkers. It may be your neighbor. All those people need the gospel message of Jesus Christ, the good news that changes lives. Look again at the example uh, Paul and Sylvanius and Timothy left the Thessalonians to follow, right? It says, for you yourselves, this is verse 7 right up here, for you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but we toil and labor. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. Paul realized and understood the vital importance for the matching of his life with his words. He, he chose to live a bivocational life. He worked as a tent maker and a church planter. Hard to, to not be a burden when you're earning your own money, when you're talking about just the physical needs of these pastors. He did not want to be a burden to these new churches. But he, he also taught and preached and planted. He, he poured his life into these people. He poured his, his all into everything that he did. He worked hard. And you and I need to work hard. And that's in so many different aspects of our lives. This doesn't just focus in on one. But we are called to work hard in our families. Uh, if you're blessed enough to have any sort of familiar unit here with you in DuPont, in the surrounding areas, wherever you might live, we are called to work hard and be affected by the gospel in the way that we interact with those who live with us. We are called to live in a certain way when we go to work. We are called to work heartily as unto the Lord and not be the kind of worker that goes to work and says, how little can I get done today and still 
collect my paycheck in two weeks? Is there a way that I can kind of hide from my boss, maybe close my office doors, work my way to the back of the warehouse where nobody will see me? That's not the way that we would work if we were working right there with Jesus Christ next to us. And that's what Paul is calling us to do. How about here at the church? You know, we set up every Sunday. We come and we put out some chairs and put up some speakers and run some wires. And it's not hard work in the sense that anybody can do it, but it has to be done. And I think God is calling us to invest in our church and in our community. And mobile church isn't for everybody, and that's okay. But maybe God's going to you know, prick your heart and move you towards saying, yeah, I could show up for setup, or I could come a little bit early, or I could, I could stay a little bit later and help with teardown. Work heartily is unto the Lord. I wish we had a, like a cardboard box we could just open and poof, this would all just appear. That'd be pretty great, and we could put it back in, but it doesn't work that way. I know a lot of you already work in children's ministry. You help out, and we appreciate that. But there are a lot of children here, and there are a lot of empty slots. And, and, and so there are opportunities, even for you uh, who have not been blessed with children, or maybe your children have grown and moved on. Could you volunteer once every eight weeks? Say, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll help out in a, in, a kid's, in a kid's ministry spot. I can help out, Okay. I'm not telling you this so you overrun Linda after the service uh, with volunteers, but don't get me wrong, she won't complain. So if God's telling you today, hey, I can volunteer, I can do this once every, every couple of months. Yeah, I can do that. Well, maybe that's where God is calling you to work heartily as unto the Lord. And there, there's so many different examples uh, that we could give, but Paul's saying, when I was with you, I worked, I worked. We all did. And none of you was I a burden to. We bought our own food, and, and, and we, didn't, we didn't ask you for anything. Follow my example. Be willing to work hard. He continues his train of thought in verse 9 and 10. It wasn't that Paul didn't have the right to be supported by the church, but he chose to be example to them of hard work. Paul's not saying, well, you shouldn't have to pay your pastor. That's not what he's saying here. But he's saying, while I was with you, I worked. I worked hard. I set it up so that the, the men and the women that we left in charge, when we left, they would be the ones supported by you. You didn't necessarily have to support me. Now, we know from other letters, Paul appreciated the financial support from many churches that he planted. There is a need to take care of the ministry. That's why we pass an offering basket every week. If you're new, newer to the Grace Works, we don't want your money. We can say that with all honesty. But if you say, you know what, the Grace Works, I buy into this church. I love what you're doing in the community. I love that you encourage us to grow in our faith. I love the community feel, the fellowship, the community groups. And I want to be a part of this church. Then God is calling you to support the church. And that's why we pass the offering baskets. We, 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 we can do that not feeling bad at all. Because there is ministry costs. And Paul knows that. But here in Thessalonica, he chose to work. He was a tent maker. And he worked through the nights. I don't know how many of you guys have ever worked that shift, the overnight shift. I've done it. Uh, when I was working for Costco for those 19 years, there were a lot of nights that I worked. But that allowed me then to have freedom during the day to be with my family, to be with my kids. 
And what Paul did is he worked through the night making tents, selling tents, getting tents repaired. And then during the day, he continued to plant this church. I worked hard while I was among you. He chose to be an example of a life that was in line with what God commanded. He wanted his life to be the blueprint for these Christians, these young Christians. Look to me. You can imitate me. Two times in three verses, he says, I am the example that you can follow. Now, this, this example was contrary to many of the traveling preachers of Paul's day. Most of them would go from church to church. They would preach. They would share the good news. And they would take some sort of collection and move on. And there's nothing wrong with that. Right? That was okay. They chose not to stay long enough to get a job or to do manual labor. They were just moving on. Right? But God had called them to that. For this situation, Paul was called to be a tent maker. He, he gave them the command based on what he was willing to do, what he was willing to uh, show them as that example. And what he says here uh, is, is kind of like taking it to the extreme. If you're not willing to work, you don't eat, okay? Now, this is an interesting command. Paul didn't just make this up off the top of his head. Uh, this actually ties all the way back to the creation story. So if you're taking notes, write down Genesis 3. We're starting in verse 17. I'm going to read you a couple of verses. You can go look at them later this week. Uh, but what, what it says in Genesis 3, verses 17 to 19 says, And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I have commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it'll bring forth, and, and, and you shall eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face, right? This is what God tells Adam. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Adam, because of the fall, because you and Eve ate of the tree that I commanded you not to, to get food... To be able to survive, it's going to take work. Now, not all of us are farmers. Gwen and I tried the little backyard garden for a couple of years, and it was fun eating the little carrots that we would get and some of the other things that grew. But we realized right away we were not even gardeners, let alone farmers, right? Most of us aren't farmers, so our work, our toil, the sweat of our face looks a little bit different. we got a lot of military people here. The sweat of your face is going to work and protecting our country. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We have a lot of teachers here. Thank you. I've had four kids go through the education system, three of them now in college. I've got one still at the high school. Thank you. The sweat of your face is getting up early and going into the, uh, the school building, into your classroom, and teaching my kids how to read and how to do math. And how to succeed in life in, in a lot of the areas that I don't necessarily have the skill to teach them. Thank you so much. Doesn't matter what you do, what your office looked like, you will not eat unless you work. That is what God said in Genesis, and then Paul repeats it here in 1 Thessalonians. Now you may be saying, wait a second, Mark. What was the point of that? What just happened in the text? I know you've explained it, but I'm still not 100% sure. Well, Adam and Eve had just sinned, and that had been found out by God, and God was rolling out the punishment. 
And so part of that punishment was, I'm not going to just have these trees and plants grow and give you food like it has been for these, this first amount of time before sin entered the world. Prior to that sin, there was unity, there was this harmony in the world between Adam and Eve and God and, and the Garden of Eden. But then sin entered that picture and everything became disjointed and out of line and out of harmony, right? And, and so God said, we're going to place some order back into things, but now it's going to take something from you. I'm not just going to provide this for you. It's going to be through the sweat uh, and, and the struggle that you will be able to provide for yourself. There's going to be toil, thorns, thistles. God was instructing mankind through these words to Adam and Eve. So Paul's command here in 2 Thessalonians 3.10 is tied. It's rooted all the way back to that. We are still sinners, and for now, the time while we're here on this earth, we are going to have to work for our money. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread. If you're not willing to work, you will not eat, Paul says. Notice the, the word choice he uses here, though. He says, if anyone is not willing, he doesn't just say if you don't work. Some couldn't work. And, and, and in this day and age, there are some people that cannot work, and we understand that. Um, and and the, the same things that were going on in that day and age could happen today. Maybe they're crippled or there's health issues, something like that. He's not saying to those people, you cannot eat. There's responsibility for us to take care of those people. He's saying if you can work, but you're choosing to be lazy, and not work, then you are not going to eat. Plain and simple. And I think part of what Paul is getting at here and the rest of our text today is that there were some people in the church and some lines of, of thinking that thought that they could just sit back and let others take care of them instead of working themselves. So he's warning them about, about living off of other people, about being a burden, about uh, against that idea that somehow I have a privileged position uh, as a Christian, and have the right to be taken care of by others. Paul's saying no. Our, our, our attitudes as Christians should be the exact opposite. We should be generous and sacrificial towards other people. And really, at the heart of this command by, by Paul is the concept that we should be providing for ourselves so that we can be generous towards others. If you're in need all the time from other people to take care of you, it's hard to take care of those who are in greater need than you. And Paul wants us to live in such a way that we can be generous and sacrificial towards others. The character of our lives as Christians should be a strong work ethic rooted in creation and the gospel. Those are the two main stories woven throughout scripture, right? Realizing that we are rendering our work as to the Lord and that he is at work through us in everything. All the work we do is as unto the Lord and the work that we're doing amongst the church and amongst our families and our friends and in our workplace is only possible by the Holy Spirit working through us. 
Now we see Paul transition from the teaching on not being lazy, and that was the main, uh, the, the bulk of our sermon today, of our, of our focus there, uh, into its natural conclusion or the next step. It says, don't be a burden. If you're working, you're not going to be a burden. And there's some of you that are being a burden, so we're going to have to talk about this a little bit. If you jump ahead from the don't be a burden there in verse 11 to the end of verse 12, it says, work quietly and earn your own living. Those are kind of the bookends of this little section. Not only are we telling you, Paul says, or commanding you to do this, but we're so sure that this is God's will for you in your life. Look at the way he writes this. I'm going to encourage you, nice words, huh, in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's bringing in the biggest gun that there is, right? We always talk about bringing in the big guns, right? If, if you know, if I, if I want to make a point to my kids, I might bring Gwen along with me, right? We're in agreement on this. It's not going to happen, Don't go over to mom and ask the same question or look for a different answer. No, I'm bringing in the big guns, right? Well, Paul brings in the biggest gun, Jesus. And he says, I'm going to encourage you to do this in the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't be a busybody. Somebody doing a whole lot of nothing. Someone who's damaging the reputation of the church or your savior by your actions. Why? Because when you're a burden to everyone else who is working quietly, to provide for themselves and and to be this exemplary example to the world. Uh, And and now they're going to have to cover for you and correct people's damaged uh, or damaged opinions of Christians, of believers because of your carelessness. Paul's saying, stop, don't be a burden. Not only are you a burden on society, but you're actually damaging Christ's reputation. And now those who are living quietly and are working hard and are trying to be an example have to work hard, you're a burden to them, to correct the damage that you've done. This is not only a pastor's heart, but it's Jesus' heart also. The health of the church. That the church would would work and that their work would show their faith. And that their faith would be attractive to this lost world and that people would would come to know him, Jesus Christ, as their savior because of the good work done by you through the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of you. I have seen this done by you. A lot of you sitting out there, I have seen people come to this church because of your testimony and your example. You are getting it. And Paul is telling us we need to get this. This is what we need to know. What good is a word testimony if the actions don't follow suit? Right? Don't be a burden. And the final encouragement we see today is Paul telling those who are potentially growing weary from the burdens, and I'm not talking about the burdens of the world. We talk about that a lot. I'm talking about those who are sitting next to you, Or maybe they go to a different church or maybe they don't go to church at all. But they're the burdens. They're bringing the name of Jesus Christ down, right? They're a bad example for the church. They're hurting the reputation. And you're having to work hard to correct what this supposed brother or sister is damaging continually with their actions. Paul says, as for you brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. Don't be weary. Don't be weary. These people are going to be around you. And they're going to make a lot of work for you. But don't give up. 
It's too important. This is the next don't so that they would. Don't grow weary in doing good. Paul encourages the Christians in Thessalonica to not stop doing good. No matter how tired they were of these burdens, these so-called uh, you know, believers, these non-working believers, no matter how much of a burden they're becoming, don't stop working. This is an encouragement to the believers. For any Thessalonians who were discouraged or weary from this or, or any, any persecution that they had faced because of these other believers who were bringing down the reputation of Jesus Christ. Don't lose heart. Paul says keep on keeping on. Keep doing the right thing. Keep doing good. Paul knows that the church will most likely remain healthy when the members, you and I, remain faithful to do the right thing. Do what God has called us to do. Galatians 6, 9 says, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Paul's encouragement doesn't change from letter to letter to letter. Do not be discouraged. Do not give up. Do not grow weary. Paul also, Paul also wants the church not to grow weary uh, in confronting sin. In this case, the idleness or that busy body that he's talking about uh, in verses 11 and 12 that we saw, those are believers who are doing damage to the church. They're doing damage to the reputation of Jesus Christ. A way that a believer is, is called to take care of the church is important. Taking care of each other, that's important. And, and, and we need to make sure that if people aren't doing that, that it's dealt with in the right way. And so Paul is instructing them on how to do that, right? How to live their lives, how to take care of uh, those who are not doing what they have been commanded to do. This is encouragement that God has given before. And would give to us if he were here today. Don't grow weary. That's why he's given us the Holy Spirit. If we placed our faith in Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit lives inside of us. So that when we are weary, when we are frustrated, that the Holy Spirit can encourage us. Do what God has called you to do. Not only hear what we've learned these last couple months in First and Second Thessalonians, but throughout Scripture. Life can, can hold us down, it can discourage us, it can frustrate us, but we are called to cling to the promises uh, uh, and the supernatural strength that we are given through that relationship with God, through the Holy Spirit living inside of us. Do what you've been taught. The good that we can only do by the power of God working through us. Just as the church in Thessalonica needed to hear, we need to hear this also today. So do you, right, don't be lazy, right? Do you, don't be a burden. And do you, don't grow weary. God has called us to great things. Focus in on the doing. And allow your lives to be changed so that we will become the Christians that Christ has called us to be.